Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman. And I'm Jack Pelzer. Dan, how's it been? Oh, it's funny. When you have a, a day off in the week, um, just how fast the week goes. I feel like it, it. I feel like today's only Tuesday, yet it's Thursday. The weekend's almost here. Yeah, that's kind of like my saving grace here. Plus, producer Holden's out, so I'm kind of doing both ends over here. So hopefully nothing explodes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, Jack, we've had a strong week here in the markets. Um, when we talk about equities, you've, uh, we were just looking at the NASDAQ. We were looking at the S&P. S&P's in a pretty interesting area. NASDAQ continues to trend higher on the daily. A um, lot of opportunity in these markets, but one, the one that has me most intrigued is this S&P. Um, I know you're going to share the charts. I'd love for yes, uh, people I to am. see this little uh, pattern you're, uh, you're showing here. Yeah, this is the old mega pattern that's been brewing since way back of October last year, which I thought was going to explode when we defaulted. But we have had the first couple closes above uh, 4200 in a while, but we're still coming to that consolidation point. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next move is. Really good opportunity here. I think as, a, as traders, you know, these are the times where we want to be patient. Um, but what I really want to point out when we look at this chart here is all the checks to that low trend line Jack has here, that yellow low trend line Jack's got going on. When you're trading and you find yourself maybe struggling or you, you find yourself in an awkward position or you're not sure whether you should take a trade or not, or not setting up trends, looking at channels, things of that nature. Now, we have the daily or I believe this is the daily. We're going all the way back like a year here. But yeah. um, you can look at chart. You can create uh, trends like this on any time frame chart. And that's what I do. I think I've talked about it a lot, this idea of creating a channel to trade in. And they can be range bound. They can be trending higher. They can be trending lower. But what you really want to do is if you find yourself struggling and you can't find, you know, hey, I'm, I'm getting in in the middle. I can't figure out my risk. These are the opportunities when you come check low sides or high sides of channels. Those are areas to start to look for an opportunity. And I'm not saying it's going to revert back inside that channel. Um, it could be a breakout section too. Obviously, you're going to watch volume. You're going to watch a number of factors when uh, the market's approaching the extremes. And, uh, you know, basic principles of volume, as it says, you know, if market is moving in a direction, volume continues to come in, look for direction to continue. Um, but those are times where you can kind of look for a little bit tighter on the risk um, and then potentially, um, you know, you'll have a better risk reward ratio. So things you can look at all the time. And again, it's not necessarily a, a entry point of saying go long or short, but rather there's room to look for an opportunity to limit that risk when you get to trades like that. Yeah, I got to say, personally, I am going to miss this triangle. It's come to its end um i wish it well and we got to look at what's coming next i still think the 4200 is a super important level if that becomes a support obviously i think the high was around all-time high was around 46 something as i recall i could look on there but i'm looking at three different screens at once right now this has been super organized and i love to see it on the other hand we go to the nasdaq today give me a moment here little different setup little different it's been rising higher it's even breaking above that the NASDAQ has been super top-weighted in some ways. The big players in AI and NVIDIA have been holding it up. I think that there have been some crazy percentage of the stocks in NASDAQ are near their lows for the year while the stock index is making its highs. This is not the one that I trade. I stick to my nice triangle on the ES, but this is certainly something that, you know what, everywhere you look, you got channels going on. But uh, how high can this fly, Dan? 
Do you think we're waiting for this to uh, rotate back down? It seems shaky to me. Uh, There's a lot of concern out there right now. Um, There's a lot of questions going on. Obviously, AI is a great topic to be looking at, especially when it comes to the NASDAQ in the future there. Um, But in reality, it really comes down to trade what you see. Pay attention exactly. to volume. Um, and it, that's the thing. You know, obviously, we got to put on our two different hats. You know, you wear your investment hat, right? You're thinking long term. And then you wear your uh, your day trading hat. And you're thinking, hey, what's happening here today? And I think the thing you want to look at is monitoring that volume. What's volume telling you? Uh, is the volume continuing to come in, right? We just talked about it looking at the S&P chart, right? Basic principles of volume. If we continue to see strong updates, um, with good volume coming in, then yeah, there's opportunity um, for the market to continue. If we start to see that volume lag off, don't look for those big, huge breakouts. Maybe things are slowing up a little bit. Yeah, well put. Just trade what you see. We like to prognosticate sometimes because it's good to look at those longer term trends, but ultimately you're not investors, or at least not when you're doing this right now. Exactly. And definitely don't ask us for investing device because... It was a tough 2022 for me, Dan. What about you? 2022 is tough, uh, but 2023 is on the mend. Oh, 2023 <laughs> is great, but you know, really getting a lesson. We always talk to traders about if you impair your account by a big percent, you have to make a much bigger percent of it back. So 2023, I am way outperforming the S&P 500. Just don't uh, ask about last year's performance. I just looked at my stuff last night and a uh, little sigh of relief. Almost halfway yeah. through the year to see uh, see where we're at so far. So, Dan, that kind of goes into, we just talked about losses. Uh, that's one type of loss you can incur. <laughs> you can lose money by buying a security at one price and selling it at another disadvantageous price. That's the one everyone thinks about. But there's also a lot of other costs that go into trading. And we kind of wanted to talk about this in the lens of, uh, we had an announcement from uh, Top Step this week, Dan, which was... Our keep, compliance person. Keep your first 10,000 um, and then 90-10 split after that. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Keep your next 10,000. Or next. So that is a really good split, especially because we'll get into later what the uh, splits were like when we were working at prop shops. But first, people might find it more interesting to talk about trading costs in general that maybe you're not thinking about. So, Dan, you do more active trading in futures than I do at this point. What are you looking at as far as what are your like bare minimum costs that you're incurring? Technology fees. That's kind of how I look at it, right? My computers, uh, my internet, um, some of the softwares that I'm paying for. I do have a uh, a statistician I work with uh, monthly. Um, there are fees included in that. So to me, there's a couple levels you got to think about. I've said this in the past and I'll continue to say this again. You know, if you're going to make trading um, a career, uh, if it's something you're going to be looking at all the time, I cannot stress enough, you know, a good work environment. Cell phones, fine. You know, getting out of a position or checking on the market, by all means, I'm not against that. I was raised in a household that said even to do AOL Instant Messenger, AIM as we call it, you had to be hardwired. No such thing as laptops growing up. Every computer was hardwired. I think my dad was 10 years behind getting Wi-Fi, it felt like. Like, we didn't ever have Wi-Fi in the house. Everything, computers were hardwired. Even, I remember going to college, it would have been 2007, 8-ish, something like that. I was a kid that, like, went to college with a hardwired cord. Like, internet was a thing. The rooms, the 
dorm I was about to say barracks rooms. The dorm rooms had Wi Fi and internet, but nope. I got sent to school with a Ethernet cord. So I'll I'll date myself there. I went to college. A lot changed just a couple years earlier, I think two thousand and five. And everything was plugged in. We got our TV through like an Ethernet cord to plugged in. And I watched a lot of Law and Order because that's all they had. They had like TNT. So we had like sixteen channels, that. and you had a cable wire coming through. But to bring it back, some of the costs, right? So your technology costs. Investing. I'm gonna side here, by oh, the way, yeah. on the technology costs. It's actually fortuitous. Somebody in the comments a while back was talking about. Wait, first, we got DA asking, would you guys know if we can get the coaching session that occurred today? Yeah, I can check. Yeah, dial-up. I, I dealt with dial-up way back in the day. Actually, I remember dial-up. Shout out in case my mom's listening. The, the family computer, I don't know if I've ever told you about this trauma, was in my room. So the one big gateway computer was where everyone came to do their computing. So that was fun. But new technology, somebody in the comments a while back was asking us, we were talking about... Dan, you were talking about your two internets, and somebody was asking if you'd ever used a VPS for trading. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Okay. The, the virtual computer. And at the time, a few weeks ago, my answer would have been no. But here's a little secret. If you're watching this right now, we are producing this on a virtual computer. And there are some advantages to that that you should look into. A, you can buy, they can be super powerful, these cloud computers. Like the reason we're using it is because my laptop would explode right now if I was trying to run this uh, streaming software on it, right? But also you can access it. You talk about always having a, always being able to get in or out of a position. You're talking about Wi-Fi that could go out. Your internet at home could come out. Well, you could connect remotely to one of these computers anywhere. Your computer goes down, jump on your phone, whatever else you do. It's very interesting technology. I think there's all sorts of different cost levels, and it's something that I'm going to look into more and more. <clears throat> we used to use a VPS, the more I think about it, not VPN, their uh, free information yeah. VPN is a virtual network, um, but VPS is a actual like computer in the cloud. Yeah, let me explain the difference because it is it, it, like I'm, I'm not a huge tech guy, so this was newer to me. Uh, I've used v- VPN. Uh, I went to, I had to download the VPN when I went to uh, China so I could check my emails. Uh, because of the good party over there. VPN is great too. VPS is actually a virtual, um, like it is a computer in the cloud in a data center somewhere that you access like a remote desktop. So when I sign into it, it looks like a uh, Windows desktop, but it's not real. But it has, yeah. It's funny because I I remember when that came up and I didn't remember exactly what it was, but now you bring in this back up and kind of explaining, I do remember... We used a cloud computer. Our risk software was developed in the mid-90s at my own prop firm. And it was built, initially built on Windows 95. And they upgraded it to, I believe it was Windows XP. And so in like 2014 or 15, Windows XP got completely phased out. Um, And it was a seven-figure cost to upgrade it to the current Windows. Uh, to get our risk software set to the current windows. And uh, the bosses were a hard no on that one. And we found someone said you can get a virtual computer and run XPS on it, Windows XPS. And uh, so we ran all of our risk software off of a virtual computer. Nice. Um, what, what was the Windows everyone hated? I forgot about that. XPS. I was always a Mac XPS. Okay. I think it was the XPS. I think everyone hated it. But that was the big one for a while. 
so anyhow, circling back. So the stuff you got to think about, right? I like a secondary internet. To me, it makes sense. Um, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens when we're trading, we are solely responsible for our actions. If we're trading on a poor, you know, poor internet connection, we have to accept the consequences that come with it. Um, if we're trading, you know, wherever we're trading, those consequences fall on us. And we want to make sure if it's $150 extra a month in an internet that gets you something that's secure. I have, a, like I've always said, I've got a separate internet that runs underneath this desk here. And my computers, my trading computer is hardwired. So that is fully hardwired. It gives me the most comfort and confidence in my system. Uh, so internet, your computer, you know, if you're coming into this and you're looking to make a career out of this, invest in a solid computer. Um, it can be a laptop and a secondary monitor. Uh, you can be into these computers now for under $1,000, probably even way less than that. Um, and you can have a really strong, solid computer and making sure that that computer is solely focused for trading. Uh, that's always been something that I got. We were told back at the prop from Jack, I think you guys were too. You had your internet computer, you had your trading computer. So you had like a secondary, for us, it was like we got an old desktop that got a separate monitor <clears throat> to check emails and look at the news and, you know, scroll Facebook and Twitter. And run the charting software. I think that's actually a good, for everyone out there, I mean, how much you spend on trading technology, it's sort of like, it's sort of like golf or what are other expensive hobbies people pour uh golf or like audio visual or stuff like that where you can spend as much as you want but how much you spend is a decision that should be based on you know wh what is your scale what are you trying to do here do you need you know how much is tr how much is trading technologies now dan a few thousand a month so do you need to spend a few thousand a month on tt and have uh two high quality computers and a virtual computer and stuff like that I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you guys are uh, BSDs, so to speak. You can fill in the words there, but <laughs> I won't. I think I selected the stream was okay for kids. But the decision that I wouldn't skimp on is just like having a clean computer for it, like you said. Like, I, I would have a separate trading box if I were doing it. I think it makes sense. So simple investments in the retail world. And I'll tell you, it's cheaper than going to a prop shop somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. Two, yeah, 2G connections. Yeah, there's all, I'm sure there's as much as you want because I think you can just scale it. I'm just responding to the comments here. I got one I gig here for uh, my computer. Lightning fast. I've is never it, had they, one gig in my own home. Uh, they lie so like, hard on those. I've been testing it. I apparently had the, you know, the 400 from Comcast. Shout out to Comcast. And I have never seen anything close to that. Maybe 100 for download speeds is the highest I've ever gotten there, but cool stuff i got that 18t fiber optic coming in mm, nice i mean the other before we get to the the payout structures at prop shops versus what's happening now i mean the other things you all know about as far as costs right you have margin interest you have commissions and that's another place too where it depends on your scale i mean what does a cme membership cost now dan depends on which one you want i think you can go as low as to rent them a few hundred dollars a month. Uh, if you want to own, I think you're in 9,000 on the low end and 400,000 on the high end. So what Dan's describing here is that you can get better commission rates by paying fees to the CME. Now, if you're trading outrights, unless you're doing some crazy large scalping strategy, it probably doesn't make sense. 
I used to be a CME member because we were trading spreads where each unit you would sell one bond and buy 10 or 11 futures. So it added up really quick. You'd be trading thousands of futures a day. So that made a big difference. Yeah. It, the, I don't think many retail traders out there, it's worthwhile to them. Um, but a membership, they're, they're going extinct soon. <laughs> yeah. Somebody is asking about, and maybe someone can help them in the comments too, is asking about, uh, do you know besides connection, what hardware you need for a PC? Maybe someone can answer. I don't, I've always had the computers provided for me. I'm kind of, I wish I knew more about these things. I really yeah, do. Yeah, I can help a little bit. Um, a high-end graphics card. Um, that's going to speed up your visualization on things. That's really important. A good-sized CPU and memory. That makes a huge difference. Really, I think the best way to go about it when it comes to picking a computer, if you don't know the details, look for a gaming laptop. So those uh, MSIs, I think some of them are. Lenovo's got some good ones. Alienware. There's a number of them out there you can get for a decent price. Those gaming laptops are designed for uh, interactive, high speed, and good engagement. And the screen resolution, I think, is pretty good on them too. Um, I've got a custom-built computer here that uh, was custom-built essentially based off of gaming that I use for trading. And Dan, that, my friend, is why NVIDIA is worth a trillion dollars as of today or yesterday. Between friends, Jack, I have more NVIDIA... um, I just said graphics cards in a box in a closet in this room than I want to admit. When we cleared out our old office, we had 50 of them. Uh, I I somehow ended up with like half of them. Well, maybe we'll uh, raffle those off at some point in the, uh, Dan and I will be in the alley behind the board of trade (laughs) and uh, we'll be giving those out at some point. Cool. Yeah. So we've gone over the commissions, gone over the equipment you need. Besides that, there's stuff that doesn't cost money, like uh, just having a nice place to work. That's a good one. Yeah, I think also that you Decent made headphones. a good point, Jack. They're like a, a good chair, a good comfortable chair to sit in. That's a good investment to make. Uh, comfortable desk, comfortable space. Having You can kind of see behind me, my desk's out of a mess, um, but just investment in a good couple pens, some sticky notes, some scratch paper to be writing on little things like that having that and you know stockpiling it i'm a big fan of overbuying so that if i run out you know i'm not running around looking for something when i need it i have stacks of sticky notes stacks of uh legal pads i've got cards everywhere i'm always taking notes as i'm going those types of Mm -hmm. investments um menial but it keeps you focused on your trading because you have everything you need uh, locally. Also, uh, yeah, free information in the YouTube comments. Feel free to pitch whatever you want in there. Um, we, uh, well, as long as our rules on pitching things are no pitching uh, crypto, no pitching, what else? <laughs> I mean, n- no weapons, no drugs, no, nothing like that. Everything else is fine. Uh, but no uh, competitors, they'll get me in trouble. I should have had that one first. So, Dan, now it's time to dig deep. Talk about prop shops a little bit, because, you know, I think that a lot of people there's I think people want to work at a prop shop sometimes as sort of a, you know, career aspiration and kind of that feather in your cap of, oh, you know, you're a professional trader when you're in a prop shop or that thought process. For which sure. I think it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit misguided in that 
you shouldn't really care about just titles like those, but there, there are pros and cons and the cons are pretty much all cost and we can kind of go into that. Uh, so Dan, when you were trading at a prop shop, what was your payment structure like? So very Payout. based off of how much you made every month um, and it varied off of your expectation. So we came in and they set an expectation of revenue that we're, you know, amount of money we were supposed to make. So my initial, uh, when I first started was about between 25 and 30% cut. If you were to look at it, we did it as a full pot. Any of the guys that were trading the same product, they fell into a pot and certain guys got bigger chunks. I was on the lower end when I first started. Um, but close to the 25% of what I made is what I pocketed after I paid my desk fees. The desk yes. fees came out of my 25%. So it wasn't like the first, I think my desk fees were 10,000 a month. So it wasn't yeah. like the first 10,000 I made went to my desk fee. Um, it was 25%. So I had, a, if I made 10,000, I got 2,500 of that, 2,500 of that went into my desk fees. So if you do the math, you can start to think about how much you got to make in a month just to cover desk fees before you're putting money in your pocket. Yeah. When you get hired at a trading firm and Dan's right about it being completely purely uh, performance based where you'll probably get a salary that is depending on a place somewhere between just getting by and just enough so the government doesn't get them for labor practices right yeah, i had a base all... salary we won't even go into that number it was not <laughs> it was, <laughs> um it, it wasn't helpful and yeah i just see your comment here free information some people got more of the pot than others absolutely some people were doing you know close to seven figures a month and some were you know maybe just barely touching six figures a month um and the goal for and every prop shop's different some is very individual based. Uh, we worked as a team. That was the incentive to work as a team to support others for the, the big guys to kind of educate the younger guys. And so everyone's success worked together because I had also been in places where, you know, someone found uh, a strategy that was working really, really well in the short term and they didn't want to share that information. And it impacted the prop firm on a whole as a whole because one person found a strategy that's working and they didn't want to share it because they wanted their numbers to be higher than everyone else's. Whereas when you were working in, you know, in a pot, as they say, you know, sharing that information, you become more of a team aspect. That was the intention of the last firm I was with. And there might be prop shops. And in fact, I'm sure there are. I think there's different levels of prop shops where there might be places that are essentially just offering you a little bit of help with the margin and a place to sit and they may not be giving salaries and stuff like that i would be aware of any place like that i think what you have to think about with the cost i'll go into what my costs were there and whether it's worth it is what are you getting for that and in the case of where i traded it was a very very large percentage of any success that i had came from what was being offered so in that case it was sim similar to dan where i probably had desk fees of 10 to 12 grand a month and then about 30 percent 25 30 percent and it would escalate as you made more and to that salary thing also they give the low salaries too just to kind of like weed people out i think there's a passive aggressive thing where in my experience uh it was usually the 
the big high flyers that got fired in a crazy way because they're the ones that would go out and just lose an S load of money. Uh, whereas the people that just were never having much success, they just got weeded out by themselves. Cause if you weren't making any money or just covering your desk fees, it was a pretty unglamorous lifestyle. Uh, you were just kind of doing all this work and just getting by. And at some point you'd be like, uh, this, you know, I got to be building up some other skills. Jack, but, you're, uh, yeah. you're spot on. I'm glad, uh, I kind of forgot about that, but you're right. When, you know, the, the big, the big money guys, they were also the big money losers uh, and the winners. They had the bigger churn and you'd see them bouncing around a little bit more than the rest. Um, that middle of the road trader, they were the ones that pretty much stayed loyal to the same firm, stayed with them for as long as they really wanted until they had a different opportunity come up. Um, I think it's important to note, you know, the difference with being in a prop shop and doing this in your own world retail, um, you know, financing yourself with something like Top Step is, you know, every dollar is pretty much a green check for you. You can work on your own time. You know, for us, when we were in the prop firm, I mean, that's your livelihood. And you were putting in, and it wasn't like, you know, I could go, like, now I can look at the markets for two, three hours a day. I can have a great day, great week, great month. And I'm not, you know, overwhelming myself where back in the day it was, you know, I was in the office by 5.45, 6 a.m. I'd leave at about 3, 3.30. I'd, I had, I was the one that lived close. So I would rush, rush home living in, I was on, I lived on LaSalle street, just North of the, the board of trade by exactly mm -hmm. one mile. <clears throat> and I would sprint home, I'd get upstairs, I'd fire up my computer, and then I'd start watching positions. And I'd usually watch the positions from that five o'clock open until about eight o'clock at night. Someone else would log in from eight to 11. Um, and then someone would be monitoring throughout the overnight session and any you know abrupt market change. They wouldn't really mess. You guys had night guys, Jack. We were a little smaller. We didn't have a night guy. We had someone I keeping. I was a night guy. Yeah, we didn't have that. Yeah, we had- uh, half, I was trading. We have one guy that kept an eye on things in the overnight. He was trading a night strategy and he would just call and go, this position, you know, bonds just moved, you know, a handle. They moved 20 ticks. You know, that that was uh, our wake-up calls. And then we'd this all hop on. This might be a on. silly question. Were the options trading around the clock? Like, what were you guys trading overnight? Yeah, options. So we were really big um, back then with uh, the Asian Open. China was really impactful on the bonds. So you would see um, pretty intense, you'd see pretty intense moves right on that uh, Asian open. So we usually had about half the firm on at about seven o'clock at night watching that, uh, watching those numbers. Yeah. So to kind of uh, end this thing on cost, I'd say if you're ever interested in a prop shop, definitely explore what they're offering as far as and it can be a great decision if you can get the job. It's like it's a very hard job, but um, it can be very rewarding in some ways too, financially or otherwise, is that for that extra money, it's the technology. And by technology, I mean proprietary technology. The place I was at had more developers than traders because we, we were operating all on. I'd say what I was doing was less trading and more uh, learning the ins and outs of how to fine tune a proprietary system, right? So if they off they offer that, they offer in-house quants, they offer equipment, they offer crazy. Now I haven't been there for ten years, so maybe maybe not ten years. 
I think that firm is even six or uh, seven years. Probably even off offering even more now, Jack. Yeah, well, that that firm offers uh, neck massages and free lunch every day and uh, all sorts of stuff. But they they extract it from you in different ways, Dan. They'll always get it. But yeah, the technology, the support, and then a massive amount of uh, margin, like leverage. Right, you're going to be able to trade positions at a prop shop that you. I would not feel comfortable trading by myself. I mean, I'm, I sit here and think about it like I've been out of that world for six and a half years now. And to put on, you know, what we would just call like, ah, see what happened style trade, you know, throwing on 50 bonds and seeing if we can make 10 ticks on it. You know, that's, that's that was a lot to do that now. Um, I couldn't imagine it. It's so much more risk than I'd want to take. And we were doing 50 bonds outright and we were like, we'll cover lunch this week. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't work like that anymore. The last thing, someone made a good comment there is that the last thing that I overlooked that they provide is, and this is probably the most important, maybe tied with the technology or the margin is the uh, knowledge you get from the people you're with. I mean, they teach you how to trade. I mean, that's how I learned. And really the only way I know how was by spending all day, you know, doing positions at night for the people who are the day traders. And that is invaluable. But there are places, and this is what I would make my end thing, I encourage you all to seek out just uh, communities of traders or if you can find someone that's better than you. It's not just learning. I don't think anyone online is going to, I don't know if there's any live trading out there or something that's going to be, super profitable I, my thing's always been like if you had a killer killer strategy why would you share it i wouldn't but <laughs> you can still learn a ton from watching people if you find people you respect that live trade or host things of just gaining the knowledge of what they're looking at or how they're framing things out and i do think there is value there i think you're right there's a ton of value in watching traders trade i think what's important to remember is if you are in these live rooms or you're with these groups that they are, you know, their their sole focus is to, you know, show trading every single day. Their job is to put trades on. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, always going to be focused on the risk. Um, they got to trade uh, to maintain some engagement. They're going to talk about it, good and bad trades, you know. I think most of them out there that I've ever seen, they're pretty honest in saying, like, that was a bad trade, but, you know, we took it, we learned from it, we go to the next one. But at the end of the day, remember watching other traders, mentoring other traders, working with other traders, doesn't matter how, everyone has a different appetite for risk. So take what you learn from them and attempt to apply apply it to your own system. Don't try and copy their system and bring it over. I've always said, Jack and I can sit here. We can put on an opposite trade at the exact same price. Both of us can make money. We can put the exact same trade on at the exact same trade uh, price and both of us may, one may win, one may lose. It's about how you manage your risk. It's about what your appetite for risk is in that trade. There are so many factors involved. It's not just, you know, hey, they said this was a good entry, so I got in. You got to make sure I, it fits your system. Yeah. You, you, you can't just copy things. I sat next to someone who was uh, probably a multi-seven-figure-a-year trader and saw all of their positions on my PL monitor. You can't so copy it. I right? I so so <laughs> it, it's it's there, but the way that 
these those people do it is magic like the really amazing traders they the way they read order flow the way that they will dump out of positions when no one else does or add to winners when no one else does or put in the extra thing it's not something that you can necessarily copy but you can get better if you put your mind to it so absolutely probably where i'll leave it let me make sure there's not any last minute questions coming in Cool. Yeah. Check out the discord, check out any discord. Just honestly talk to people. I don't think there's anything worse for your psyche than just trading alone all the time. It's uh, maddening the hermit trading. I can't do it when I'm more active than normal. I'm on the phone with my, with trading friends all the time. Um, I'm on the phone with Michael Patak here at top step a lot when we're trading. Uh, he and I used to zoom for hours every morning and trade together. <laughs> um, you know, slacking me while zooming you. I don't yep. know how he does these both things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, it helps to have someone to talk to. You know, he and I trade very differently. Um, but just having, you know, someone that when you spend time with someone, they start to learn your how you trade and you start to learn how they trade. And, and you can recognize when, hey, that's not your trade. What are you doing? That's not for you. Um, or you've said this for the last seven days and it hasn't worked. Why are you trying it again? Well, with that, Dan getting ready to uh walk outside for the first time today so we'll get out enjoy it have a do. nice weekend yeah we got some big announcements coming from top step in the next couple of weeks they will be for once we're not teasing something that won't be big <laughs> it'll be big <laughs> hope you're around for that i think on top step tv when we get that launched we're gonna announce it there so dan always a pleasure to see you likewise okay we'll see you next week stay safe trade smaller than you think you need to Namaste. Trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is a presentation of Top Step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about our futures trading combine and how you can become a funded trader. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>